I'm so happy to see everyone, and I'll tell you what, if I'd ask everybody to please stand and join me in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we offer you tonight all of our thoughts, words, and deeds, all of our actions here at Sacred Heart. Help us to continue to strive to love you with all of our hearts, to be on fire with your love, to respond to your call in each of our vocations uh, as each of us are called to become saints. And help us as we are set on fire with your love to spread that fire to everyone whom we encounter, especially all those who come through the doors here at Sacred Heart. We ask this in particular through the intercession of our blessed Mother Mary, Mother of the Church, as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, Immaculate Heart of Mary, Saint Joseph, Saint Jean Baptiste de La Salle. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just stay standing for just a moment, because I'm going to read to you from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Glory to you, Lord. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. At that saying, his countenance fell, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Okay, now you can be seated. Well, I'm so happy to see you all here tonight. And I'll tell you, uh, we've been kind of planning and moving in this direction for a little while, and uh, just had some sort of like schemes of, okay, we need to have a parish mission at some point, and what does that look like? And I know that usually the parish mission, it's like, you know, you bring in uh, a friend, another priest, somebody, some big speaker to talk, and I'm sorry you're stuck with Michael and me. Now, the good news is, you know, we're gradually moving out of the debt. We will have a speaker budget at some point. We're still keeping that budget pretty low. Um, but in all honesty, it's not just that. Uh, part of the reason why we're doing this the way that we are, that we added this in, that we're doing it in this format, is because we're wanting to get to the point where fewer people around us are walking away sad. Okay, like this gospel we know so well, and I'll tell you whenever you have the chance to refer to one of the gospel accounts of Jesus and the rich young man, I highly recommend Mark. It is my favorite because it is the one that tells us, and Jesus looking at him loved him. And really, when you think about it, there's not a whole lot better in this life 
than to be looked at and loved, but in particular by love incarnate himself, by Christ himself. And when you think about the kind of love that we have you know, around us all the time, that is so palpable, that is so present in our faith, and I'm going to do something tonight, Chris saw it in the office today, and Michael's been listening to me bellyache all day, I'm nervous tonight. And I even said to someone in the church uh, this afternoon, I said, say a prayer for me, I'm giving this talk that I'm nervous about it. He goes, you're nervous about speaking? I am. I'm nervous about speaking, even though little Ailish in the third grade does point out, I do tend to be rather talkative. Um, I do like to talk, and I do like to talk in particular about the one who looks at us and loves us. I love getting to give homilies. Why? Because it's not so much like, okay, what have I come up with? It's here's the scriptures, here's God's love letter to humanity, here's what I get to share with you, and just what I've come across in the last week through prayer, and I hope you get to see how awesome this is too, and guess what, three years from now, we're going to to meditate on the same scriptures, and there'll be something new, because there's always something new, and there's always something amazing, and just so beautiful, because our faith is such an incredible gift, and I love getting to share it. But why tonight scares the heck out of me is because, okay, so we're, we're, we have a two-night mission, right? And Michael and I have divided it up into four parts. I'm going to speak first tonight, then Michael is going to speak. We're going to have a little bit of time for question and answer. And then tomorrow night, we're going to switch that up. Michael's going to go first, and then it's me. So what we have sort of divvied up <laughs> is that tonight, I get to begin by sort of stating the problem. The problem. What do you mean by that, Father? So, I don't normally like to go into details about problems. I have more of a Pollyannish way about me, where it's like, yeah, okay, you know, sure, you know, the, the roof is leaking really terrible, but guess what? We just got a new umbrella, so just get over it. It's going to be fine, right? We're going to be okay. Like, it's like, look for the silver lining. It's going to be okay. But, as anybody knows, you can't do that all the time. There comes a point when it's like, okay, let's stop for a second and assess what's going on. Let's look at what's happening all around us and decide, are we doing things the way that they should be done? Are we doing them in the correct way? Now, as I say that, um, some of you may have thoughts of like, has Father gone nuts? Like, is he going to like start like dancing down the aisle? No, I'm not. I promise. Like, you don't have to put up with that. You have to put up with my talking, not with my dancing. Um, but I'll tell you a story just to kind of get into what Michael and I in particular have been talking about a lot for a long time, and I think a lot of you have probably dealt with in various ways. When I went to my 10-year high school reunion 12 years ago now, I haven't been back to one since, um, not just because of COVID, but I was there, uh, it was in October of 2010, I had been ordained a priest in June of 2010, you know, like a little bit of fear and trepidation, a little bit, to go back to Peoria, Notre Dame High School, Peoria, Illinois, the Fighting Irish, where the tradition continues. All these wonderful things to see my classmates. I went to the same high school, kind of. Three of them were combined, but one of them was the high school home of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, who is incredible. And if you don't know about him, learn about him, because he's amazing. He was the one that kind of like gave Milton Berle a run for his money in the early days of TV and the ratings and all that. He's a Catholic archbishop, but people tuned in to see him 
before the entertaining self. He was entertaining. He was incredible. And he, he will be a saint. If he's not, I mean, he is already, but um, not canonized yet. Awesome. He went to Spalding and Spalding and Bergen and Academy of Our Lady all combined to be pure in Notre Dame. Hence, I went to the same high school as Fulton J. Sheen. So, I go back to my 10-year reunion, the class of 2000. Hooray, I'm all excited. It'll be fun to see all the people I went to high school with. One of my classmates, Brian Rezac, I'm impressed I remember his name, gets up and gives like, you know, kind of like the introductory speech and welcoming everybody back and says something to the effect of, you know, like, ah, it's crazy to be back by the chapel. I haven't been to one since I left. I'm sure everybody else is the same way. It's like, seriously? Like, I mean, come on. Like, why are you coming back to high school? And he even said something like, way to go, Notre Dame. And it was one of those things where, you know, it kind of hit me to the heart. Obviously, I take my faith seriously. Um, I am blessed to say there are other members from my class that do. One of them, some of you got, have gotten to meet before. He's come back to visit. Father, Vince Giacobazzi, SJ. He's a Jesuit. Some of he's Catholic. But he is a priest, and it's, I'm just kidding about the Jesuit anyway. So um, he may be watching live stream at some point. It's all good. But like he, and I got another friend that I know she's doing her darndest to, you know, raise her family and hold them in the faith. There's three I can mention out of my class of 264. I mean, I'm sure there's more than that. But I think we probably all have some similar experiences in that regard, where we work really, really hard. I mean, my parents scrapped and saved to send us to Catholic schools. I went to St. Vincent de Paul grade school in Peoria, Illinois. Then for high school, got to go down the road to Peoria, Notre Dame. Myself, my other three siblings, we were all there. You know, we were, we were there for weekly mass. I got to serve from the time I was little. I mean, we were in the system all the way through. And I will say, three out of the four of us are practicing. Thanks be to God. Um, my sister, she's the holy one among us, and I'm not kidding. I say that like, to, no, she is the saint. She's awesome. Um, my brother Rob, his wife Chris are wonderful. My other brother is not really practicing anymore. I wish he were. And you know, in a way, it's like, okay, there's no like silver bullet here. But something has to be a little bit different than just like cultural Catholicism, right? Of sort of like you jump on board, you work through the system, and then it's just supposed to be like, okay, you're going to practice for the rest of your life. There has to be something deeper there. And I'll say, and here's a buzzword for you, intentional. So Michael, our wonderful director of operations, did his undergraduate at Belmont Abbey in theology. And his senior thesis was a focus on this book right here by Sherry Waddell called Forming Intentional Disciples. Michael and I began working together eight years ago. And I think it was seven years ago in 363 days. He told me to read this book. I finished it on Sunday. Um, it is very, very good. And I am, oops, as I almost fall, I'm kicking myself for not reading it sooner. But the reason why I say this is kind of a difficult sort of subject for me to jump into tonight is because, okay, I could say like, oh, you know, I went to school up in Peoria, you know, in the middle of the Midwest, where it's like you have cultural Catholicism. Of course things are falling apart up there, but we live in Salisbury, where, where we are immune to this sort of thing, right? I wish. 
And I think we all know that that's not the case. I just want to read you just a little snippet here that Sherry Waddell says about kind of part of the system we've been using. She says, since the late 16th and early 17th centuries, the Catholic retention strategy has been A, childhood catechesis, and B, sacramental initiation. 400 years ago, CCD, the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine, 400 years ago, and the Catholic school system were cutting-edge responses to the crisis of the Protestant Reformation, setting out to give every Catholic child a solid catechetical background was an extraordinary vision that had never before been attempted. The endeavor was deeply influenced by a Renaissance optimism about the power of education. The assumption was that a carefully nurtured religious identity acquired in childhood would endure throughout life. The Jesuit motto, sorry, I keep picking on them, the Jesuit motto said it all. Give me a child until he is seven, and I will give you the man. But the evidence suggests that what worked in the 17th century does not work in the 21st. Pew researchers found that attending CCD, youth groups, and even Catholic high school made little or no difference in whether or not an American Catholic teen ended up staying Catholic, becoming Protestant, or leaving to become, quote-unquote, unaffiliated. Now, I just kind of throw that out there, and like I said, this is a difficult one for me to give, because I think we do have to kind of sit with the difficult reality of the fact that so many people you know, have sort of gone away, are drifting away. And listen to this. So this is just a couple pages later on page 38. This is back in 2007, and unfortunately I don't think things have gotten better. This is by generation the percentage of Catholics who go to Mass on Sunday. The builders, ages 65 plus, 45%. The boomers, ages 47 to 64, 20%. Gen Xers, ages 26 to 46, woohoo, 13%. Millennials, ages 18 to 25, 10%. Now obviously, as you know, the builders, the boomers, the Gen Xers get older, it's not like that is like ramping up completely, right? It's not like, oh, you know, the millennials, they'll, they'll grow into it, they'll come back. They'll, they'll... Trouble is, if they're not here in the first place, if we don't have them here in a big way, like how do we deal with this? How do we go about trying to bring them in? How do we go about trying to keep them? And I'll tell you just one other thing. And I'll tell you this too, like, God is so good and so providential. Um, as I was going through my breviary to just quickly grab a couple of holy cards to mark in here on the couple of statistics I wanted to share with you, the one that I grabbed, no joke, Catherine O'Brien, my grandmother, died April 7th, 2009. It's like, how good is that, you know? Um, but as you look at this, we have like reasons by percentage of people in a Pew study who said why they left. Why they left to become what Bishop Barron calls very often, or Sherry Waddell calls in this book, the nuns, right? I'm not talking about my dear sister friends up in Ann Arbor, the NONEs, the people who have become nothing, unaffiliated. 71% said they just gradually drifted away. 65% said they stopped believing in the religion's teachings. 27% cited the sex abuse scandal. 3% 
cited separation or divorce. And just a couple, yeah, people that like kind of drifted off into being unaffiliated because they said either they don't believe in God or most religious teachings, 42% or 33% said they have not found the right religion for them. So when you think about that, this problem of sort of like a drift, right? Some of these people, you know, a lot of them are here with us. They're around us. Like they kind of come in and out of the church. They're there. We have some of them for a while. So talk about it's like CCD. We got faith formation. But man, do we put in a whole lot of effort, right? All this effort to get them in class, to do the retreats, to make sure we've got them here, to do the record keeping, all these different things for so many of them to sort of like get the rubber stamp and then never see them again. There's couples where it's like, I work and work and work with them and we're meeting and all this kind of stuff and we're doing this and we're going through it and then I never see them again. You know, and even, you know, we work so hard with a lot of them in the Catholic school. Like, we try to get them in. They mark down Catholic. Sometimes I think it's so they can get the discount, right? And they're here, and they're around, and they're in the orbit, and then they graduate, and we never see them again. And so, when you think about all of those different groups, there are times when they're here. There are times when we get them into our beautiful church, And this is where it's so hard for me. Because what I want to get up here and say, as the pastor of the best parish in the diocese, I know I'm being filmed, but I'll say it anyway, I love our parish. I think we have so many things going for us. I mean, how can you not walk through these doors and think, holy mackerel, this is incredible, you know? Yes, of course there's a God. And then when you walk out through the front doors into beautiful nature, it just reaffirms it. Yes, of course there's a God. Like, why wouldn't you want to be here? I don't understand it. Now, I will be honest, sometimes it is hard to drive up Lumen Christie Lane, especially at 6 a.m. when I'm tired, you know, but this is also my job, so it makes it that much easier. But, like, I want to put the positive spin on it. But I think at the same time, it's important to kind of sit with the statistics of where they are and also just the lived reality that we've all experienced. I referenced people in my family, right? I referenced my grandma. I had saints for grandparents. Incredible people. I have 19, or I have 18 cousins on that side. There's 19 of us grandkids. I don't know how many of us are practicing. I don't think it's positive. Like, I wish I could say on the whole it's the majority. I don't think it is. And we had amazing help at home. Like I've talked about him before. My grandpa making rosaries, sent him all the wall. Like I credit him with the fall of communism. You know, like I, I think he had a part to play. James O'Brien was incredible. My grandma was so good, loved each and every one of us. And both of them, their faith was so palpable. That's just the O'Briens. The Eckerts were amazing too. I had Catholic school upbringing. I had parents who I like to say didn't make us go to Mass, made us want to go to Mass. And still... It's like there's still this drift, still this falling away. And I think it's important to take some moments to just kind of sit with that for a while and think, wait a second, just like the rich young man, how in the hell does he go away sad? Jesus, looking at him, loved him, right? God himself, 
looks at him and loves him and says to him, you lack one thing, come and follow me. And what does he do? He goes away sad. And so we have that great mystery right there in sacred scripture. And obviously, this is the Son of God himself. And I think this is part of why this is such a difficult talk for me to get up here and try to give, is because I don't understand it either. Like, I'm used to in a homily. Like, I know where I'm going, right? Like, I know what the end is. I know what to expect by the end. And ultimately, it all points back to the resurrection. And to be fair, it does here too. But the question is, like, okay, what are we doing or what are we not doing to try to make sure that at least here we can make those statistics a little bit different? Now, I'm not saying that all of a sudden 100% of the people who come to the store, absolutely, they're all on fire, they're just jumping right in, they're never going anywhere. Okay, that's unrealistic. I get that. But at the same time, I think especially as Sherry Waddell points out about the CCD program, right? Been doing it for 400 years. Um, the Catholic school program, we've been doing it for 400 years. Where are we with that? Now, I'm not saying we just, uh, just throw it all out, but I think it's important to stop and reflect on what the bad news is. Here we are in this current age. We all have personal experiences of people wandering away. We all know what it's like to have someone in our life that goes through that drift, especially when you see the fact what 10% of millennials come to church regularly. That ain't good, right? And so it doesn't look good for whatever the next name of the generation is. I have no idea what it'll be. And maybe it's iGen, although I think that's what the millennials are called to. But to stop and to focus on this a little bit, like I said, I like to typically, it's like, okay, our Lord said, if you would be my disciple, got to take up your cross daily and follow me, and you know, then you are my disciple, right? Like, okay, there's the bad news. Let's pick it up. Let's go. Let's just deal with this. That's the way I like to handle things. But I don't think it's a bad thing tonight to just kind of sit with this for a second. Okay, this is where we are. It's tough. I hate hearing a classmate say, oh, way to go, Notre Dame. No, I mean, Notre Dame means a lot to me. Was it the perfect high school? No. But I'm grateful to my parents that they made that kind of sacrifice. You know, my grandparents loved their faith, loved it dearly, wanted us to have it, and quite frankly, this is one of those things where, you know, my grandma died just over two weeks before I was ordained a deacon. When I talked at, I got to give the reflection after communion at her funeral, because it was one of those things where she was the one who was convinced I was going to be a priest from the time I was conceived. As soon as my mom knew it was going to be a boy, she said, he's going to be a priest. And when I had a girlfriend in college, she was devastated. And so, you know, it is what it is, right? I knew she'd make it to the ordination. She didn't make it to the ordination in person. But we have this incredible treasure that gives us the hope of the people who have come before us, you know, in handing this on. But the interesting thing is, in this chapter that Cherry Waddell writes, it's called, God doesn't have grandchildren. It's an interesting phrase. Why? Because we each have to have that encounter, right? And so the question is, why are so many going away sad? We know that there is a lot of sadness out there. And so what I would propose, as we kind of hit this point in the night, 
as we all kneel down for a moment, pray a decade of the rosary, in particular for our parish here at Sacred Heart. And I'll tell you, I have this long litany of petitions. I pray every single morning in morning prayer. If you've never gotten to pray the Liturgy of the Hours, I highly recommend it, but there's a set list of petitions. And then I get into my own litany. And I got a whole lot of things in there, like my family. I do love my nieces and nephews. You may have heard of that before. Um, you know, like all kinds of stuff. Brother, priests, people who are in trouble, the sick, the dying, was oppressed by the devil, all these sort of things. But my first intention every single morning is you all. It's the parish of sacred heart because I get to be your priest. I pray for you all every single day. Now, collectively as a group, just like if you've ever seen on the Sunday, Pro Popolo, the Sunday Mass, that is for the people of Sacred Heart. And you all are my first petition every single day. So it says, as we kneel down and pray the second, I want us all to pray for our parish. But second of all, bring along with you those who you know who have wandered away, who have gone away sad, who our Lord looks at and loves, who has even given himself to them in Holy Communion has you know, poured out the Holy Spirit upon them in confirmation, brought them together in marriage, and the people who have drifted away, who have gone away sad, not even necessarily because they have great possessions, but just because they drifted away. Now let's ask our Lord for that grace as we kneel down and pray, in the face of a pretty bleak landscape when it comes to statistics, to pour out the Holy Spirit upon the church and help us to be open to whatever He's calling us to do, at this time and place. So let's all kneel down and pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let's pray together the third glorious mystery, the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. Ave, Ave, Ave Maria, Ave, And now, it's my pleasure and honor to introduce to you our Director of Operations, Mr. Michael Buckard. Well, it took Father seven years to read the book, but better late than never. So I'm pretty excited about that. Maybe he'll listen to me more next time. So what I want to focus on tonight is I want to focus a little bit on where we go from here, right? So Father, I gave him the depressing talk, right? I didn't want to give the depressing talk, so I made Father give the depressing talk. But the statistic that I want to focus on, 71% of people that left the church said they simply drifted away. Simply drifted away. It wasn't like some big revelation moment. It wasn't some big light in the sky. They were here. They were in our pews. They were sitting next to you at Mass. And then slowly but surely, they simply drifted away. And what were the reasons they gave, those 72%? 42 said they do not believe in God. As Father read, Jesus looks at us at Mass. And they were here with us. They were sitting next to us. And they somehow came to the conclusion that they no longer believed in God. And what was the second? The second biggest thing, the 32%? They said it wasn't the right church. Those are very interesting responses. It wasn't about contraception. It wasn't about abortion. It wasn't about LGBTQ. Even the sex abuse scandal was only about 3%. They simply drifted away. So the question is, how do we let them not drift away? What are you and I, as the Sunday Catholics, that are obviously here at a parish mission, which means you're serious about your faith, what are you and I going to do to the neighboring person that sits next to us in a pew every Sunday to help them not to drift away? And that is what I want to talk about today. How do we help people not drift away? Well, first we have to continue to dig into the problem, okay? And this is coming back to Cheryl Waddell's book, Forming Intentional Disciples, that I love. I actually got her to sign my copy at one point, so this is one of my prized possessions. In a Pew Research study that she cites in her book, 
they asked a simple question. I think it's a simple question. What kind of God do you believe in? Right? All Christians. What kind of God do you believe in? Do you believe in a God that is a personal God that you can have a relationship with or an impersonal God? One third, one out of three people said that they believed in an impersonal God, not personal God. A God that you can't have a relationship with. Now, I don't know about you, but when I come to Mass and based off of the Gospel Father read for us tonight, I'm confused by that, right? So how are people missing that there's a personal God? What's, what's the hang-up here? We'll get to that in a second. Then another question the Pew Research Study asked is, how certain are you that you can even have a relationship with God? How certain are you that you can have a relationship with God? Only 48% said that they were absolutely certain that God could have a personal relationship with them. Only one-third said, one-third said that they, as identified Catholics, believe in an impersonal God, but still only 48% said that they were absolutely certain that you could even have a relationship with God. So these numbers are not good. Right? These statistics are not good. And this is starting to scratch at the surface what we're struggling with here, right? Because Pew Research Study also found that if you believe in a personal God, it was directly correlated with mass attendance. Direct correlation with mass attendance. So if you believe that you could have a relationship with God, our Father, Jesus, whom looks on us with love, if we can have a personal relationship, your mass attendance, spot on. And it's a direct correlation, right? And that also is the same throughout Protestant denominations, right? This isn't just a Catholic problem. This is a Christian problem because a lot of Catholics that leave these pews end up going to Protestant churches first to try to find a church that they like. And when they, don't real, when they realize that church isn't feeding them anymore, guess where they go? Then they become the nons, right? So it's a progressive drift because they're still looking for this personal relationship they can have with God. So how are we, why is this occurring? What about the Catholic Church is not helping people to understand that you can have a personal relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And the problem becomes that we are trying to sacramentalize and not evangelize. Love that word, evangelization. We're going to be talking about that a lot, especially tomorrow. But we're trying to sacramentalize, not evangelize. Church for 400 years, as Father said, believed that if we sacramentalize our children, they'll stay Catholic, right? For 400 years, that's been the mentality. Get them through CCD, get them through faith formation, get them to the sacraments, and those sacraments will enliven them and strengthen them and keep them around, as we saw in the statistics, as we see in our pews on Sunday. That's not the case. We're still missing something, that personal relationship and evangelization. So in her book, Sherry points out that we as Catholics go on three simultaneous spiritual journeys. Okay, there are three spiritual journeys that we are going on simultaneously in the life of a Catholic, okay? First journey, the personal interior journey of a lived relationship with Christ resulting in intentional discipleship. 
Now, as you can tell by the title of the book, that's the one we're going to talk about, right? The second journey, the ecclesial journey into the church through the reception of the sacraments of initiation. Okay, that one makes sense. We've all been on that journey. Our children are going through that journey, right? Sacraments of initiation. The third journey, the journey of active practice, excuse me, the journey of active practice as evidenced by receiving the sacraments, attending Mass, and participating in the life and mission of the Christian community. So, recap. One, interior journey, relationship with Christ, right? Number two, receiving sacraments of initiation. And number three, that active participation, continuing to come, going to confession, going to Mass, going to faith formation, learning, being educated, going to school, the Catholic school, things like that. But what we're seeing is that we as Catholics, make a little bit of assumption. We're making an assumption. We're assuming that if you are on journey number two, right, receiving your sacraments, and if you're on journey number three, you're continuing to participate in the life of the church, that one, that interior relationship with Christ is already there. We're making that assumption. And how do we know this? because we don't really talk about journey one, right? I don't talk about journey one a lot, and I work in the church. What's the question when somebody walks into the church that I ask them? Chris can vouch for this, because she's in the office half a day. Are your, kids, are your kids baptized? Which is a very important question to ask, right? Does everyone have their sacraments? Did you receive marriage in the church, or was it in a courthouse, right? Those are the type of questions I ask every single day, because I work for the church. Why am I not asking the question, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I know as Catholics, we squirm a little bit of that question, right? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Because our typical answer might be, well, of course I've been baptized. Well, of course I've received communion. Well, of course I've been confirmed. I go to Mass. We qualify that relationship with Jesus Christ with the fact that we are participating in the life of the church. We're qualifying the fact that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ because we're on journey two and three. That doesn't actually answer the question, though. That never actually answered the question of, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you know that Jesus Christ loves you? Do you have a relationship with him so when you die and go to heaven, he's going to say to you, my good and faithful servant, come and celebrate in the kingdom of heaven? Or is he going to say, I gave you all these gifts, but I don't know you because we don't have a relationship. So we have this struggle with that first journey is assumed that we're moving through life and not asking about that first journey. And this is where participation and sacramentalization do not equal discipleship. Just because you receive your sacraments, just because you show up to Mass on Sunday, does not mean you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. And we need to be able to recognize this. Okay? So the first thing we need to do is we need to break what psychologists call the spiral of silence. Now, I am not a psychologist at all, right? So I've read up on this to try to understand what this is. Sherry talks about it in her, her book. And basically what that means is that if no one's talking about something, if something is not a topic of conversation, if it's not brought up on a normal basis, then people are going to naturally assume that they need to fall in line. 
oh, we, we don't, we as Catholics don't talk about Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We as Catholics don't, you know, give witness and testimonies and talk about our relationship with Christ. Oh, we as Catholics don't do X, Y, Z. Well, then I guess that's not something that we talk about in the church. And then all of a sudden the communication breaks down. And then to fit in, and this is just what we naturally do, this isn't like some sort of mental processing, right? This is just what happens when people come into the church and realize these conversations don't happen, they stop talking about it. And then all of a sudden this continues to spiral because every generation of Catholicism that we get, when they realize that, oh, no one's ever shared with me about their relationship with Christ, we start to spiral. And this isn't necessarily to say the people in this room don't do this. You're here, right? This is saying, why are the nuns leaving? Because they don't have a relationship with Christ. So who's having this conversation with them? I don't know. And I already admitted that I'm not because I'm asking if their kids were baptized, right? That's what I'm doing in the office. And so we need to have a mental shift. We need to understand what should be normal in the Catholic Church. And so there, Sherry quotes another church that they, when they were making their mission statement and drawing up how they want to present their church to the wider community, they came up with certain values. And every single value starts with, it is normal. Right? And so these are things that we need to do and we need to be working on and thinking these need to be the norms within the Catholic Church to be able to have these communi- this conversation, these communications. So I'm going to go through these real quick. It is normal for lay Catholics to have a living, growing, loving relationship with God. Because how many times do we think that's just for priests and religious sisters, right? We put them in a, a bubble and then all of us laity are on the side, right? It is normal for lay Catholics to be excited about Christian activities. It is normal for lay Catholics to be knowledgeable about their faith, the scriptures, the doctrinal and moral teachings of the church, and the history of the church. It is normal for lay Catholics to know what their charisms of service are and to be using them effectively in the fulfillment of their vocation or call in life. It is normal for lay Catholics to know that they have a vocation or mission in life, primarily in the secular world given to them by God. It is normal for lay Catholics to be actively engaged in discerning and living this vocation. It is normal for lay Catholics to have the fellowship of other committed lay Catholics available to them to encourage, nurture, and discern as they attempt to follow Jesus. And finally, it is normal for the local parish to function consciously as a house of formation for lay Catholics, which enables and empowers lay Catholics to do number one through six that we just talked about. So we as a parish, we as an office, should be encouraging all these norm- things to be normal. We need to be fostering that conversation, which is a little bit of what we're doing or trying to do right now, right? So just think about what would happen if those things were normal, if these types of conversations were just day-to-day normal Catholic activity. Well, all of a sudden, wouldn't that be showing, hey, I do have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I do love Jesus. I do love the church. I do come to Mass, but it's not because I have to, or even necessarily because I want to, but because I love Jesus Christ and have a relationship with Him enough to say, I do this out of love of Jesus. Not because I have to go to confession if I don't, but because I love Jesus. That's going to be a radical conversation with the people, the 71% of people that are sitting next to you and slowly drifting out of the church. If we start having these conversations, something is going to change. And ultimately, if these things become normal, 
what are we ultimately? And this is the buzzword, right? Disciples. It's all about being disciples. And now I know discipleship language is pretty common in the church. We hear about the disciples. We hear about Jesus sending out the 72 disciples. He had a lot of disciples. He taught the disciples. He talked to the disciples. The disciples walked with him to village to village. And so all, it kind of becomes just this word that we hear day in and day out. We don't actually think about it that much. And that's why Sherry did something really fascinating. She added a word in front of disciple. She added the word intentional disciple. That means this is not just something that we mosey on along behind Jesus and we say, oh, cool, I'm following Jesus, I'm going to church, got my sacraments, going to confession. This is what am I actually doing on a day-to-day basis and how am I actually making sure that I'm living out my discipleship at every moment of every day and making this intentional. And ultimately, this comes down to us, kind of as I already said, accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. But the tricky part about the church right now is where are we doing this? Where are we having these conversations? As we've kind of already hinted at, it's with the kids. And this is a failure of the church. This is a failure of this church that you're sitting in right here. As Father kind of harkened on, how much resource do we give to our kindergarten through eighth graders in a faith formation class? Right? Once a week. We get our books. We get our catechists. We do the sacramental prep, right? We have our wonderful faith formation coordinator, John, here tonight, right? But if we're not gaining the kids, which really shouldn't be the target audience anyways, where should we be putting the effort? And that's in you all, the adults. Why do we think that we're going to flip the pyramid on the head? Oh, the kids will catechize the parents. That does happen from time to time, right? My high school experience very much helped catechize my parents, right? That does exist. But why do we think it's going to go bottom up? What else in our world goes from the kids up to the adults? The answer is really nothing, right? The parents are instilling the faith in their children, right? We need to go from the parents down to the kids. So how are we as a Catholic church as a whole, also including us here at Sacred Heart, how are we empowering you all, all you adults here tonight, to share the faith? What's our adult resources that are happening right now? And, and the answer is very little. Now, I understand there's movements, Crucio, Emmaus, but that's not really us as a parish. Right? Those aren't necessarily parish functions. So we, as a parish, are making an effort right now, today, moving forward, that the adults are going to start being our primary targets. Right? And we're going to be talking about this a lot more When we have our parish mission, you guys didn't realize that was round two, in June, right? We're going to have a whole other parish mission in June to solely talk about this topic, right? So I don't want to give too much away yet. And so we need to be working on this. So we need to shift to focusing on the adults, right? So ultimately, what does this mean? We want every single adult that sits down in this church to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and to be intentional disciples, intentional followers of Jesus. Because once you're an intentional follower of Jesus, something's going to happen. Your love of Jesus Christ is going to affect the 71% of people that are slowly drifting away. Because of your witness and you living the, the normal things of a Catholic life, you witnessing to the faith, you showing your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to affect the other people sitting in your pews that are slowly drifting, drifting away. 
So hopefully that's going to reverse the trend. Instead of drifting away from Jesus Christ, unbeknownst to us, maybe they'll start drifting towards Jesus Christ. Possibly still unbeknownst to us. But that's for Jesus to know, not for us. So the question then becomes, how do we be intentional disciples? How does this actually work? What do we actually do? And many of you are doing these things already, okay? Many of you are already well on the way. But this is just always a good reminder and words of encouragement to keep striving, to keep moving. First thing, as Jesus tells his apostles when he called them by the Sea of Galilee, right? He called them, what did they do? They dropped their nets. They left everything. I'm not asking you to leave everything. Jesus isn't asking you to leave everything. But what is the thing that he is asking you to leave? What is that thing that you are holding on to that maybe you shouldn't be holding on to? Maybe there's something that you need to bring up in confession. Maybe there's something that you really enjoy that's pulling you away from prayer and a life with Christ or from Mass on Sunday. Is there something that's holding you back? I'm not saying there is, but that's for you and Jesus to decide. And you're never going to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ if you're holding on to something and not wanting to let it go. Eventually, you will have to let it go, possibly in purgatory, where it's going to be much easier to let it go here rather than later. So I would encourage you to look into that, right? Second, let's take a lesson from our Protestant brothers and sisters. Accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And that's not the same thing as the altar call, right? We're not having an altar call, I promise. That's not happening right now. But what does it mean for Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior? Okay, when I, when I was in college, right, I worked with FOCUS, which stands for the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. And they had a little chart, okay? It was very sophisticated. It was three circles that got smaller inside each other, okay? The first one, you know, was far away relationship with Jesus Christ. The second one was, I've got a little bit of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the third one, as you can imagine, was, I love Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And the question was always, where do you think you're on this chart? And most people were like, maybe the second one, uh, maybe the third one. And then they would say, where do you want to be? And everyone always said, well, of course the middle. But they were college students. They didn't understand what they were saying, right? They're still kind of in the, not totally in the adult realm yet, but you all are, right? You're, most of you are well past college, right? Is Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? Is Jesus Christ the center of your life? And if he is, how is that reflecting outward? Right? There's a really cheesy church song that I know we've all heard before, right? And thank you, Miss Flora, for never playing this one in church. But you know that song, we shall know, they shall know we are Christians by our love, right? Do you love Jesus? Because if you do love Jesus, people should know you love Jesus. And they should know you love Jesus by the way you love them. That is a direct effect of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if people don't see that in you, maybe you need to grow in that relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, we all do, right? But it should be contagious. People should know Jesus Christ is the center of our lives. And how do we grow in relationship? By communication. Everyone here who's married, right? If I went home tonight and I walked in the door and said, Hi, wife, how are you? And she said, how was the talk? Good. Anything else? No, it was good. Father did a great job. Cool. All right, good night. Going to bed. How would that grow in our relationship? That would be really bad, right? We have to do the same with Jesus. We have to have more conversation. We have to talk to him. We have to have a two-way communication. We also have to listen. 
right? Men, that's our problem, right? We don't really like to listen all the time. But it doesn't work well if we talk all the time and we don't listen, or vice versa, right? You have to allow to a conversation, and this is where prayer comes into play. Comes into play. Prayer is different for everyone. I'm not saying you have to come to daily mass. I'm not saying you have to come to adoration every single night. I'm not saying any type of prayer is better than any other, but you have to do it. You have to have that communication, or you're never going to grow a relationship. So, drop your nets, grow a relationship with Jesus Christ. Number three, you got to be willing to learn about your faith. Okay? You can't be a passive bystander. This is an active relationship. Okay? And part of growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ is learning about the church. Their church is called the Bride of Christ. If you want to be my friend, you better at least have a decent relationship with my bride, or our relationship is not going to go very far. So if you are one of those people that's, I love Jesus and hate religion, which is very popular right now, congratulations, you just said you hate the bride of Christ. I hope that relationship goes well for you with Jesus, right? Because it's not, okay? So we need to understand what the church is trying to teach us. That's a little bit of theology. That's a little bit of church history. That's a little bit of church morality. That's a little bit of ethics. All these things that make up theology, I'm not saying you have to have a degree or multiple degrees like Father, but you got to at least have a basic understanding. As the first letter of St. Peter challenges us, always be prepared to give a reason for your hope. And if you're not prepared to give a reason for your hope and have a cordial conversation with somebody who challenges the faith, I would encourage you to start learning. And you can watch Fathers of My Catechism series and you learn a little bit. There's a little selfless plug uh, every last Thursday of the month. But you've got to start learning. You've got to start learning about his bride. You've got to start learning about the church that Jesus Christ founded or you're going to miss, be missing a whole bunch. And the last thing, this is kind of a segue into tomorrow. If you love something, you share it. Think about your favorite restaurant. Okay? My wife is partial to Chick-fil-A, so we'll use Chick-fil-A as the example, right? She tells everyone about how much she loves Chick-fil-A. Okay? She tells everyone. Think about a brand that you like, a type of shoe, a type of shirt, a type of cutlery in the kitchen. Don't you want to tell people about it? Hey, I found this thing. It's super awesome. You should get it too, because it's going to make your life better. These knives, you never have to sharpen them. Watch them cut through drywall and then a tomato at the same time, right? Or afterwards. We've all seen those commercials. Well, what about your relationship with Jesus Christ? If you love something, you're going to share it. I love my wife. I love my family. I want you all to get to know my wife and family, because I love them, and I think you'll love them too. I love Jesus Christ, and I want to make sure people know how much I love Jesus Christ so that they can also love Jesus Christ. And I don't have to be selfish of Jesus Christ like my bride, because everyone can love Jesus. He died on the cross for everyone. He has infinite love to pass around. So why wouldn't you tell people to love Jesus more? And this is what evangelization is, is sharing the love of Jesus Christ with your neighbor, sharing the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, sharing your love of the church, not just Sacred Heart, the universal church, right? Sharing your love of your faith, because that is, go is going to be what helps the 71% that's sitting next to you from drifting away. 
you sharing your faith. It's not that hard. It's not magic. All we have to do is make these conversations normal. And if we make these conversations normal, hopefully we'll set the world on fire like Jesus Christ said. Now at that point, I'm going to stop talking because I've talked a lot already. I'm going to bring Father back up here and we're going to do a little bit of Q&A. How are we doing on time? I know you went over. I went over too, so it was perfect. This is what we thought we would do. We said that we would go until 7.30, which is precisely three minutes from now. Um, but we thought, hey, we'll open it up to questions. At the very latest, we'll go until 7.45. Here's the good news. We're doing this again tomorrow night. We have some more things planned for tomorrow, except tomorrow, Michael is the opener and I am the closer. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Please join us. And then... Um, Get prepared because over the next week, obviously, we're embarking on Holy Week and then the whole of the Easter season. And then as we're approaching Pentecost, we're going to do another two nights like this to kind of talk about some plans of going forward. But I just would ask uh, as the pastor, and I'll really make the pitch tomorrow, but just to be really intentional in praying for our parish as we go forward. Um, We have the greatest of all treasures right in our very midst. And so to pray, you know, I like to say a lot of times that my ultimate goal, my ambition in life is to turn this place into a saint factory, which is true. But I think even before getting to there, I think we probably need to start saying that we turn it into an intentional discipleship factory, you know, like to be on fire, because this is the beautiful thing right here and now. Sometimes it's too easy to think like, oh, it's talking about becoming a saint, that's somewhere in the future. But this is how we get to that point. So anyway, I'll stop talking. Does anybody have any questions tonight? And no, if there are, it's okay. Dennis. Sir, you talked about the of course. But who's instilling the faith in the parents? Right? If the parents don't have it to instill in their kids, then who's giving it to the parents? And this is the trouble that we're having. We're seeing an exponential decrease because the, the generation above them didn't have the proper education to pass it on to the next generation. So we're gradually decreasing. Now, I am a millennial standing here. Right? I know I'm kind of an odd breed in the church. But we as intentional disciples need to be encouraging and equipping the parents to pass it on to the kids. So based off of the statistics in the Pew Research, right, you had, what was it, the the builders were like 56%, and then you had the boomers, which were like 40%, then you had the Gen X, which was 30%, and so... Gen Xers are 13%. 13%. So you see a gradual decrease, right? So yeah, they were strong, but they weren't strong enough to keep the percentage stable. And I don't think that's anyone's fault. That's not any generation's fault. I think that's the church's fault, thinking that we have a one-size-fits-all solution, that the 400 years of CCD is just going to work forever. But it's very clear with this decline that it's not. I'll let you keep calling them. That's okay. I think, yes, Carolyn. Like, if you go to uh, like CARA, the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, 
it's not any better. I mean, and you think about this, like for example, it's another study, but it's one I can call to mind off the top of my head. I think there was the USCCB study in cooperation with Pew where they found that only 30% of Catholics believe in the real presence in the Eucharist. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. So like more localized statistics. Sure. No, and I think that's a very good question. Yeah, okay. Okay, so Carol was just asking. I'm going to try to repeat the question in my own words and correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, okay, so we're talking about Pew Research, right? You're looking at the, like, the macro global perspective on things. Do we have statistics like in Rowan County of our own parish of what's happened, what we've experienced? It's a very good question, and I would say probably no more than really anecdotal evidence. Um, I'm sure many of us have experienced, it's like, you know, you were doing things with this family or that person, this one, and man, where did they go? Now, to be fair, and this is where like my Pollyanna aspect kicks in, right? It's like, well, we just had COVID. Like some people are, aren't here. We don't get to see them all because we got, you know, live streaming going on. And what about that? And that's fair. And I think, like, I, I personally believe that we're probably beating the national average, but at the same time, I don't think we're beating it so much that it's like, oh my gosh, we don't have anything to do. Like, so I think to take what Pew is saying, to take the CARA and the national you know, statistics, and then to make sure that we're not ever just resting on our laurels. You know, because, like, I'll give you an example, kind of just tangential from your question. Several years back, like 2015, uh, back when Sister Elizabeth was here and Father Rossi, uh, the two of them, Michael and I, went to a wonderful conference called the Amazing Parish Conference. And it was led by a gentleman named Pat Lencioni. He's like into like CEO training, all these sort of things. And he talked about the need in a parish to like give it our all, to do the best we can. Because he goes, okay, to keep using Chick-fil-A. Down the road, there's Chick-fil-A. Like they are all about customer service. They're all about their presentation. I mean, they have drive-through lines out to the street, and yet still have like the fastest drive-through lane around. It's incredible the way they can work all this out. And they're just selling chicken sandwiches, you know? Like what we have here is Jesus Christ who loves us, the great news of the gospel, all these wonderful things. And so to look at everything that we're doing and make sure that we're doing it to the best that we possibly can. And, you know, so it's like sort of applying different corporate principles, so to speak, but at the same time, I know that that can almost sound like dirty, like, oh, how can we do it? But no, I mean, it makes sense. It's like, why wouldn't you want to do the best that you can and analyze, okay, like if you can think of someone, and I'm sure all of us can, that we used to see here that we don't anymore. Why is that? Now, there could be a whole host of reasons, and there may be this or that. Or, you know, I mean, this is what I typically say. The deacons heard me say it a hundred times. We come up for mass, it looks like we have a light crowd. I'm like, man, I should really start brushing my teeth. And, you know, so it's like all these different things we can sort of like credit to the fact that people aren't here, right? But, and even, so, I, I, I think we're coming back from COVID really strong and like our numbers are really good. But still, how are we making sure that we don't have people drifting away? So I think it's a very valid point. I think it's something we need to kind of like keep looking into and studying and figuring out. But I know we have anecdotal evidence. I was talking with Sharon about, I don't know how many years back, so protecting the innocent. 
like we had, you know, First Communion Mass on a, on a May Saturday morning. It's beautiful. And someone came up and said, how long is this going to last? We have a soccer game. You know, okay. Like, hey, these things happen, right? Like, not everybody is just, like, on fire and ready to go. So how do we share that in a good way and, like, shatter that cone of silence? Chris. Please. I think it's a wonderful point. And I think, too, like it's a great idea. And I'm hoping that as we do this, you know, tonight, tomorrow night, in June, we have a whole bunch of wonderful ideas like that, but also a way for, let's say we have somebody who doesn't feel comfortable doing that, right? Getting up and giving a testimony. And yet, feels comfortable enough that if they bump into someone who comes to the church, they're ready to say, yeah, you should be here. Like, this is the place to be, you know? And so, because like part of my goal here is, look, everybody you know, is called to this. I don't want to see anyone like the rich young man go away sad. Now, all of us have different gifts and characteristics. Some of us would be good at getting up and giving a talk and like leading a Curcio weekend and doing these wonderful things. Some of us are petrified by that and don't feel like doing it, but all of us are called to be disciples of Christ. And so the question is, like, how do we... You know, right here at Sacred Heart, it's almost like putting these two together. Like looking at our own statistics. Where do people feel like they're drifting away and all these sort of things? How do we use the best, you know, the characteristics we have? How do we, how do we build all these things up? And ultimately it's like, we don't want to drift. How do we not rest on our laurels? So it's a very good, good point. And we're always taking ideas and we're going to continue to take ideas as we transition to focus on the adults rather than the children, and we have actually hired somebody to help us with that, um, and we will be introducing them in the not-too-distant future. I would also say, too, just because the first couple times I heard Michael say that, I kind of winced a little bit. It doesn't mean we're not going to care about the kids. Um, I hope you all know. Of course. I do love love the kids. I will continue to give them high fives. We do continue to love them. We will continue to give them the faith. But, like, you know, it's just, yeah, a shift in some of the ways we're looking at certain things. Yes, Jack. I did do those statistics not too long ago based, so the question was, what are the statistics of Catholics in Rowan County versus coming to our parish? What is the difference? Um, based off of you know, natu- uh, national surveys that they do every, what, five years, whatever it is, um, I took the latest data of what they estimated the Catholics were in Rowan County versus what we had here. I couldn't tell you at this point what that was. 
Um, but I don't think it was much over 50% of people that proclaimed themselves as Catholics and that based off of that, how many were registered at our parish. So I mean, there is still plenty of room for growth. And as we said, and as we talked about with the statistics, people always proclaim themselves Catholic. How many times have you talked to somebody and you found out they were Catholic? We almost have to follow up with the question, well, what type of Catholic are you? Were you a baptized Catholic? Are you just a cultural Catholic? Do you actually go to church on Sunday Catholic? Maybe you go to church once a month Catholic. Maybe you are actually a practicing Catholic that has all their sacraments. So the question, so that is a very vague question nowadays, who proclaims themselves to be Catholic? Because a lot of people do that. But then we have to start sorting the fish and going, okay, what kind of evangelization does this person need? And that is actually a very good segue into what I'll be talking about first tomorrow. That'll be exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, sir. I, I wanted to say something for maybe for clarification, but what I learned now tonight. <clears throat> I really love the point that you stressed is that we have to have a relationship. Because mm -hmm. that's where the discipleship comes from. You have there's a distinction between a disciple and an apostle. So first comes the disciple. I have to have that relationship with Christ. And you said that that the sacramental, you know, that sacramentalized. So, so many people they go to confession, go to uh, holy communion, but that relationship is missing. So eventually that'll fall apart, and and that's what I, I guess that's. Yeah, what that's a great summarization. Really One hundred percent. They go. They, they they will be lost. The lost sheep. They're no longer here. So. We have to really stress this. We have to be the disciple first and then also the apostle. Not everybody is a public speaker like these two. But we have to have that relationship. That, that's where that apostolate comes from. People look at us and see, this is what I want to go to. This is the direction. Exactly, 100%. Um, we have to be able to have that relationship because it's not just going to come naturally. And that's the shift from not throwing the kids out. I know I've made father squirm, and I might have made many of you squirm, right? We have a great system that we're looking at to help with faith formation moving forward. So they're still very much the priority, but it's the shift of going from top down. We've got to evangelize the parents in order to get the kids. So we have five minutes left. So, Teresa, do you have a question? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, so what uh, Teresa was saying to summarize is that she was expressing that she finds it easier to talk to Protestants than it is to talk to fallen away Catholics because we don't want to sound judgmental. We don't want to sound condescending. We don't want to attack anyone. And personally, this is just my opinion back, is that I think 
that because those conversations are normal in the Protestant circles, right? Because it, like those uh, it is normals that I went through, because we feel like if we bring up those conversations, those are going to be odd and hot topic conversations. But my question would be why? Because we've, we've engaged in this spiral of silence. And I think that's a very, very good real example to show that. I find the same thing. I'll give you a little anecdote. In college, I lived with a deacon, soon to be Father Balky, right? And his cousin came to stay with us one night, right? And he, is a, he was an evangelical Protestant, you know, doing mission trips and stuff. And he said to four very, very faithful Catholic guys, can I give you a gospel presentation? And we said, of course. And he got out the, the dry erase markers and started writing the gospel presentation on the mirror in our bathroom, talked about how man is fallen and there's an unreachable you know, chasm between us and God and Jesus Christ comes and dies on the cross for us. And this whole diagram that maybe you've seen before, especially if you're coming from a Protestant background. And that was amazing. We loved it. We just enjoyed the fact that he thought we needed to be saved. Right? And thanks be to God that Protestants look at us and say they need to be saved and we need to help them. But that was a conversation that I would never have with probably even my Protestant brothers and sisters. Because that is normal for them. That is the norm to have those conversations. And so that's just a really interesting anecdote of, man, I wish I had more like what he has. And it's probably just because, partly because I'm a cradle Catholic and I've been stuck in the spiral of silence a little bit. <laughs> and I'm not immune to it either. So Ted came all the way up here and he gets the last question. Ted. <laughs> well, I have two things I'd like to say. One, uh, it's wonderful to be in a parish with a priest and a church manager who obviously do love Jesus and you remind it. The second thing I want to say, probably following up on what Chris and Erwin said, but I'll go back to the hearings. Um, I think both of you need a little adjustment in your thinking about what you call the extra church things you know, that are around here, like Priscilla, we've been talking about, but also Knights of Columbus, Catholic Daughters. In particular, probably the most impressive thing to me is the Emmaus group for the Hispanics to meet constantly. Yeah. Um, and there are people in all of these organizations who can really be fire makers sure. uh, to testify about their the, the friendships that they've developed as Christians, what they've learned about the catechism, what doctrine we share, what friendships we share, and that kind of testimony can be, I mean, I know that's not Sunday Mass. No, 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 absolutely. But, but there should be some way for the church to take advantage of all of this enthusiasm yeah. that is out here, out there, out there, that can be brought to bear on this evangelization. Absolutely. And I will tell you, and I appreciate that, and as far as the adjustment would go, the one thing that I would say is absolutely appreciate every one of those groups so much. Like, for example, like as Chris is talking about, you know, like sharing the testimony of the faith, I know it's so much an important part of Crucio, and especially the grouping and coming together. 
I think if nothing else, and I would just say too, because I know Carolyn Saitong is here too, Regnum Christie has gotten to be uh, quite big here at the parish as well. My hope sort of in the parish is making sure that, or trying to get to the point of trying to do exactly what you're just saying there. Not letting it sort of be siloed into, well, if you're in Curcio, then it's this. Like, like you said, making sure to tap into and make sure that that explosive power of the Emmaus movement, of the Curcio movement, of the Regnum Christi movement, all these different movements, that it's like we are like building up Sacred Heart in a big way. Tapping into all these things and making sure that, hey, like, you know, the, you know, the church, like our lived experience of the church right here at the parish that we're making sure to tap into. And, and on a certain level, we already are. When you think about the majority of the people that are really involved in the parish, they're in one of those groups nine times out of ten. But to figure out, yes, how to tap into that, I think we're right on the same page. And I would say we very have much have a shotgun mentality, right? And we need to, as you suggested, take these groups and in a parish model, right, bring it into more of the rifle mentality, right? that we need to bring it and isolate into one area as a parish, so not saying don't do the movements, continue, the movements are fantastic, but because we've got people in a whole bunch of different areas, we have this thing where we want to bring everyone in and focus on this kind of parish mentality. And we have the, uh, an idea of how to do that that we will be sharing at the next parish mission in June. So we are actively working on that idea, so that's kind of the cliffhanger for June. And the last thing that I will say, and then we'll close in prayer, if you have this fire in your belly and you're like, I love what they said and I don't want to wait till June, I want to do something now, right? Come and talk to me because we have something for you to do now to learn how to be a better disciple, how to give a little bit of the testimony, how to evangelize a little bit more, how to work with small groups as an individual apostolate, right? how to communicate the faith. So if you are interested in getting started now, let me know, and I'll find a piece of paper and a pen, and we'll write down names. I was, oh, I do have that. I do have a piece of paper and pen. So come and talk to me afterwards, and we'll get you on the list. Just a couple of closing thoughts. First of all, thank you all for being here tonight. Anytime we do anything like this, uh, you just never know. You never know how many people are going to show up. And, you know, it's one of those things, it's like, well, Michael, it's just you and me talking to the church. Okay, we'll do our best, right? And, like, we'll just, you know, record it and send it out. It'll be fine. Um, but thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, as we both know, it's like anytime you're talking to a crowd, the crowd makes all the difference in the world because if you guys aren't really paying attention or don't care, all that, it makes it really difficult to get up here, right? You know, it's like it just kind of strengthens the cone of silence, let's say. So thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules. Uh, just a request, please do the same thing tomorrow night. Now tomorrow, at Sacred Heart, we were just using this place to the fullest. Fish fry at 5 o'clock. Our wonderful Deacon James Mazur will be leading the stations in here at 6 p.m. And we'll get started with our second round of the parish mission tomorrow night at 6.30. And then Father, Dwayne has something to say. Dwayne. Fish fry starts at 4.30. So the signs outside, fake news. 4.30, <laughs> not 5 p.m. So remember that, 4.30. So you can, it's at, no, and this is what we do here. We recycled the signs. It's great. But 4.30, show up early for the freshest of fish at 4.30 p.m. Um, so it'll be wonderful. Be thinking of questions. Be thinking of comments. Whatever you'd like, we'll just keep the conversation going. Um, but in particular, I just ask you join me in praying for our parish each and every day. So uh, this was Michael and my, my big debate. Was at the end, do we sing a hymn as we walk out? Now, I'm not used to leaving if we're not singing 
he felt really awkward about that. So what we're going to do instead is we're just going to pray the memorare, I'll give you a blessing, and I will concede to Michael, we'll walk out, and just like always, we'll be in the back to say goodbye to everyone as uh, we leave for the evening. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. For our wonderful parish, we pray. Remember, O oh most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left Inspired by this confidence, I fly into thee, virgins, my mother. Thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Jesus. Immaculate Heart of Mary, Saint Joseph, Baptiste de La Salle, the Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.